John chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first eight verses of the chapter here. We'll read responsibly. Uh, We'll read the even-numbered verses together. Out loud, I'll read the odd-numbered verses alone. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. The title of our message this morning on this Bus Emphasis Sunday is this, Having a Heart for the Hopeless. Having a Heart for the Hopeless. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us as we look at a very important topic. And Lord, I believe that many, many suburbia churches struggle and have shortcomings in some of the areas that will be addressed today. Lord, I don't know that corporately we struggle, but Lord, there will be individuals, no doubt, who do. And so, Lord, help us to look at uh, the content of the sermon as we wait against Scripture and then wait against our heart. And then, Lord, be willing to make changes, sincere changes that will uh, affect great hope in the hearts of many who are hopeless. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I would like to take a moment and publicly thank Pastor Michael Peslak for his heart to start a bus ministry here at White Oak Baptist Church back in 2004. In the last 15 years, thousands of people have gotten on one of our buses and been afforded the opportunity to take part in our church services. Hundreds of those who have ridden have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Dozens, if not hundreds, have been baptized as a result of our bus ministry and Uh, Many have grown in the Lord. Uh, We've had several mature to adulthood and continue to call this church their church as they have joined our church. I believe right now on our membership roll, five or six of our uh, members uh, were reached through our bus ministry. And that would include Andres Barrios, who is now leading and overseeing our children's ministry in our church. He is a direct result of the bus ministry of White Oak Baptist Church. I'd like to thank Pastor Pezlak for having a heart to start this ministry here so many years ago. I would like to thank those of you here who have played a part in making our bus ministry a reality. Through the years, some have driven buses, some have been bus captains, some have been bus workers or helpers on the bus, some of you have given money toward buying buses or repairing the buses, some of you have spent your money and bought Christmas gifts for our bus children, others of you have taken, many of you have taken the picture of one of our bus riders in years past that we have passed out on this bus emphasis Sunday, and you have prayed faithfully for that rider that you took without the giving of giving and going of many of you even most of you the bus ministry would not be a part of our church let me say this as well i believe that if jesus christ were the pastor of white oak baptist church he would have a bus ministry i do believe that this ministry may be the one ministry of our church that sits closest nearest To the heart of our Savior. Why do I say that? Because when Jesus walked the earth, when Jesus ministered here on earth, he surrounded himself with the rejects of society. He surrounded himself with disciples who would later be labeled unlearned and ignorant men. He was accused of having dinner and rubbing shoulders with publicans, tax collectors, sinners, and harlots. Uh, Jesus spent his time going to those who were admittedly in need of a Savior. 
The bus ministry is affecting uh, is effective at fulfilling all four elements of the Great Commission. All four elements of the Great Commission. You see, for a bus route to grow and for the the number of riders to increase, someone on a Saturday morning or another day of the week must get up, must leave behind uh, the joys and thrills of everything else everyone else does on a Saturday, and they must go and dedicate their hard uh, their time, their money, their energy, their sweat into building a route and finding new riders to come and ride that bus. Not only uh, do they go, but they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the many years of working on a bus route that I've had the joy of doing uh, from a child all the way up until I was the pastor of this church. In some way or another, I've been associated with the bus route. I've had the privilege of sitting in many uh, homes and sharing Jesus Christ with many folks who ride the bus. Even now as a pastor, on a regular basis, I'll go into the homes of those who ride our bus and I'll share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the parents or other family. And many, many, many people are saved because of the bus ministry. Not only do they go, not only do they preach the gospel, but folks are regularly baptized that ride our bus, including last Sunday morning when Orsino Velasco, one of our bus riders, was baptized here at our church. Not only are we going, not only are we preaching the gospel, not only does the bus ministry see folks baptized, but also discipled. All three of those young people who got up and shared their testimony, and those three representatives present a couple of dozen others who are being discipled and going and, and, and learning more about how to have a walk with Jesus Christ. The bus ministry not only fulfills the letter of the law of the Great Commission, it also fulfills the spirit of the law. Back in the summer of 2017, evangelist Larry Kuntz came to our church and conducted our neighborhood Bible time. Brother Kuntz is a, is a dear friend of mine, and anytime he goes and serves at a church, he just throws himself uh, on board. He's all in in helping any way he can. Brother Kuntz has a CDL, and so he hopped on one of our buses back when we had school buses here, and he drove one of the buses all week long into Bridgeport, bringing boys and girls in for neighborhood Bible time. Brother Kuntz said to me on Tuesday or Wednesday that week, He said, what is the deal with Bridgeport? What is the story with Bridgeport? And I told him about how businesses have closed up shop and um, manufacturing uh, companies have left and much of the work uh, uh, force has been laid off and for now decades has had nowhere to work and the people there uh, don't know what to do for work and many are on welfare and many are drawing from government programs. He said this to me, he said, as I drove down the road picking up boys and girls I looked at the adults standing on the porches and on the side of the road. I looked at those on the streets and what I saw was hopelessness. What those people need, he said, is the Lord Jesus Christ. A mature Christian can see past the brokenness of the neighborhood and can see the souls that lie within the people who live there. A mature Christian cares deeply. An immature Christian sees the people of Bridgeport and other broken down inner cities like Bridgeport uh, the way the Jews looked at the Samaritans. And because of their pride, because of their prejudice, they do little to nothing to see those people, these people reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I'd like for us to do this morning is to look at John chapter number 4. I'd like for us to consider three simple thoughts about this subject of having a heart for the hopeless. Point number one of the message this morning is this, the history of the Samaritans. The history of the Samaritans. Many know the story of Israel, the history of Israel. You may remember that God in Genesis 12 came to Abraham and told Abraham he wanted him to up and leave Ur of the Chaldees and to take with him uh, his family and that God would bless him and Sarah and give them a child. And so years went by before that promise was fulfilled, but God gave Abraham and Sarah a little baby boy named Isaac and Isaac would marry and he 
would have a son. He actually would have twins. And the younger of those twins was named Jacob. And Jacob would be chosen. And Jacob would uh, have the birthright and the blessing in time. And without going into all the details, Jacob would marry. And God would give Jacob 12 sons. And those, uh, by the way, Jacob's name would be changed to Israel. And Israel would have 12 sons. And those 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And without getting into all the details of all that happened, those 12 sons were the, uh, the leaders, the beginning, uh, the, the, their, their offsprings, offspring would fill the country of Israel. In time, Israel would choose a king and his name would be Saul. Saul would be replaced with David and David would have a son named Solomon. And through Solomon, Solomon would have a son named, uh, let's see, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was not a wise man. In fact, Rehoboam, stay with me here, Rehoboam would go to the people and he would demand a higher tax rate than even his father Solomon called for. Solomon's taxes were high, but uh, Rehoboam said, I'm going to make my uh, finger, my pinky finger thicker than my father's thigh when it comes to taxing you. And uh, in his foolishness, driving this tax, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel said, We'll see you later. We're going to go start our own country. And they chose to them Jeroboam to be their king. Jeroboam would become the king of the ten uh, tribes. And uh, Rehoboam and his children, his lineage, would remain uh, leader of the two tribes. And there you had the split. Well, where did the Samaritans come from? Well, the uh, ten northern tribes would choose a new capital. And in time, that capital would become Samaria. Samaria. You may remember the story of King Ahab and Queen Isabel and how wicked, or rather Jezebel, excuse me. You may, by the way, uh, anybody here ever met anyone named Jezebel? Have you noticed that we have a hand? Okay. God bless that poor child. Um, have you noticed that when somebody like a Jezebel enters the Bible, few people name their child uh, Jezebel. Jezebel, woo. And I have to tell you, if you take the story out of the Bible, the name Jezebel sounds nice. It comes off the tongue nice, but nobody names their child, almost nobody names their child Jezebel. Maybe it was a rough delivery. Maybe that's why they named the child. Who knows? Anyway, Jezebel. Um, uh, remember, uh, Jezebel was thrown out of the castle tower and hit the ground below and the dogs ate her. All of it but the makeup. Ate her and she, that was a joke. You can laugh. Uh, it was all gone and um, uh, uh, there she was and uh, uh, that happened in the city of Samaria. Well, the country of Israel, these ten northern tribes, by the way, turn, uh, turn over to Second Kings chapter 18 if you could. I'm going to show you the history here. The ten tribes there, uh, they, would, uh, they would have 20 different kings. They would be a country for 230 years. And during that 230-year span, all 20 kings would be pagan men who would not follow the Lord. Every last one of them. Now, they were a chosen people. They were, uh, they were God's people. They were God's country. But all 20 kings would lead these people into idolatry and into sin. And God would send prophet after prophet after prophet to tell them, knock it off and follow me, serve me. And they would ignore, for the most part, they would ignore every prophet. And God finally said, okay, I've warned you. I've told you, if you're not going to follow me, if you're not going to worship me, if you're not going to uh, serve me, then I will have you taken into captivity and you will no longer be a country forever. Look at Second Kings 18. Look at verse 9. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King uh, Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah would have been the king of Judah, the two southern tribes. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea. Hosea was the last king of the ten northern tribes, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against 
Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. Even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is um, uh, the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And the king of Assyria did carry away Israel unto Assyria and put them in Halah and in Haber by the river of Gozan in the city cities of the of the Medes. Now, uh, they would never, listen, they would never again reassemble as a country. Never. They were done. God warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them. And finally, God said, okay, I've warned you for the last time. By the way, just a quick point of application here. Just because God hasn't dropped the hammer on you yet, if you keep living in sin, I promise you in time, God is going to drop the hammer on you. So don't think that God has forgotten or is ignoring your sin and wrongdoing. All you have to do is look at Israel. 230 years they went living in sin. Finally, God dropped the hammer and said, you will be a country no more. Now, they would uh, mix with the Assyrians and they would have children with the Assyrians. And so by the time we make it to John chapter 4 in the New Testament, the Samaritans are part Jew and part Assyrian. They are a half-breed or at the least a mixed breed. Uh, they're not pure Israeli. The history of the Samaritans. Now, uh, uh, when we get to John 4, we find that there is a great disdain. There is a great dislike. There is even a, I'll use the word, hatred against the Samaritans. The history of the Samaritans, number two, the hatred of the Samaritans, the hatred of the Samaritans. Look at with me back in John chapter four and look at verse number four. John chapter four and verse number four. I'm about to get really, really practical with today's time needed to lay the groundwork here. Look at John four, verse four. We find a very peculiar verse in scripture. Speaking of Jesus, the Bible says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now put that map up there on the screen for me, if you don't mind. Um, uh, and we'll zoom in on it there, if you don't mind. Zoom, zoom in on that uh, map for me. Now, uh, Jesus is down at uh, in Jerusalem at the feast, and he's going back up to Galilee, where he is from. And naturally, the shortest, well, uh, uh, geometry tells us the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And I don't know about you, but when I'm going on a trip, I, I try to take the shortest route possible if... If I can, right? I know traffic sometimes messes that up, but if I can, I try to take the shortest route possible. I'm not trying to be on the road any more than I need to be. Can I get a witness this morning? All right, we do enough driving in here in Connecticut. But Jesus, the shortest route from where he was to where he needed to be was to go through Samaria. But that wasn't the route most took. In fact, you see the dotted line that runs around there. They would go out of Israel. We're going to get another zoom in shot here. Uh, they would get, they would go around, they would go out of Israel and around Samaria in order to get back into Galilee. Now, why would they do that? Well, because they hated the Samaritans. They hated the Samaritans. They didn't want to stay in their hotels. They didn't want to eat at their restaurants. They didn't want to see their economy ex- succeed at all. They didn't want to rub shoulders with them. They didn't want to talk to them. Listen, they could not stand Anyone who is Samaritan. But the Bible says that Jesus, the Bible says that he must needs go through Samaria. I can hear the belly aching and the moaning and groaning, groaning of the disciples as they cross the border. The sign that said, welcome to Samaria. I can hear it. Ah, we really have to go here. Don't you know those stinky Half-Gentile Samaritans, we're going to have to see him. Jesus, really? And I can hear Jesus saying, knock it off. Knock it off. We're going. You know, it's kind of like um, when I was a boy, I always wanted to stay at the nice hotels. And my dad would put me in a motel. You guys know the difference between a hotel and a motel, right? And we'd get in there and, you know, it would stink and it was old and dirty and I always want to stay in the nice hotels. Now that I'm an adult, I don't buy name brand or I don't buy I buy name brand cereal and I stay in nice hotels. Amen. You all with me here? It was off brand Lucky Charms when I was a boy. I get Lucky. No, I don't. I'm actually like my dad. I make my kids eat the off brand stuff. But uh, anyway, um, uh, but uh, here they had to go stay in what was considered lower class 
Samaria. They're traveling there. I can hear the belly aching and the griping of the Pharisees. And uh, there was a tense racism against the Samaritans from the Jews. They hated the Samaritans. Now, this morning, I want to just give you some areas where I believe 2019 Americans struggle. Now, we may not have the same level of hatred the Jews had toward the Samaritans, but can I tell you that I believe there there is a little bit of dividing. There is a divisiveness. There is a pushing away from people that don't fit right into the box that we're comfortable with. Letter A, some divide over skin color. Some divide over skin color. Can you turn with me in your Bibles over to Galatians chapter 2 and look with me at verse number 11. Now we went over the history of the Samaritans, but I think we're all pretty uh, versed in America's history, are we not? America was guilty. Now, by the way, I believe it wasn't our founding fathers. I have gone back and I have read the original draft of the Declaration of Independence, not the one that was ratified and sent across the ocean uh, to the uh, uh, to the uh, to the king, but the one that Thomas Jefferson originally written, and he blasted the king of Israel for slavery, or rather, the king of uh, England for slavery. He blasted him. In fact, it was the it was the centerpiece. It was the center thought of the original draft of the Declaration of Independence. And this was something, uh, slavery was something that England gave America, the United Kingdom gave America. And it would take us uh, a long time, many years to get uh, uh, slavery out of our country. It would take a civil war where hundreds of thousands of boys would have to die in a war in order to get it out of our country. And uh, the great evil of slavery, of of bringing Africans over and enslaving them and treating them like less human. And then from there, the Jim Crow laws in the South, uh, that would happen. And here we are, uh, then, then Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, the Civil Rights Movement. And here we are all these years later, and there is still a struggle with racism in America today. Galatians chapter 2, I just want to show you there's no new thing under the sun. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse number 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul speaking here, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Okay, why did Paul get in Peter's face? Look at verse 12. For before that certain came from James, he did eat, he, Peter, did eat with the Gentiles. But when they, other Jews, were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them that uh, which were of the circumcision. So what happened here is that when Peter's Jewish buddies weren't around, he pulled up a chair at a table with Gentiles, people of another race, and he was eating a meal. But as soon as he saw his Jewish buddies showing up in town, coming into the room, he got up and he switched tables and he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. And Paul went and got in Peter's face and said, you are wrong. You are wrong. How dare you mistreat someone because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity and their background? Romans chapter 2 verse 11, the Bible tells us, For there is no respecter of persons with God. I just want to stand here this morning and state this loud and clear. There is no room for racism in Christianity. None. It doesn't matter the color of someone's skin. It doesn't matter if they're purple, pink, or polka dotted. If they're a human being and they have a soul, Jesus loves them just as much as he loves you. I'm so thankful that Brian, a Hispanic, stood here and talked about how White Oak Baptist Church has loved him. And uh, t- uh, t- uh, Taylor, uh, with her twin brother, Tiandre, and um, uh, uh, Xavier, uh, of African descent, but Americans all the same, were able to stand here and talk about how that this church has loved on them and showed them the love of Jesus. And listen, let there be racist people outside the walls of White Oak Baptist Church, but let there not ever be one hint of racism found within the walls of White Oak Baptist Church. May we be a bright light that shows the world around us what it means to look past uh, the, the shallowness of a skin color and love someone for their soul. Hey, don't you ever mistreat someone based on the color of their skin. 
Don't you ever look down on someone because their skin is a different hue uh, than yours. You say, well, pastor, this doesn't actually happen in Christianity, does it? Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. Can I tell you, there are parts of this country that I would not be able to pastor in because my wife is Hispanic. There are preachers that are Hispanic but speak perfect English that cannot get voted into a church because they're not white. Go as a black man who loves the Lord, who knows the Bible, who has their doctrine down, and go try to pastor a church that's predominantly white and try to get voted in and pastor there. Best of luck to you. And shame on us as a Christian people for looking at someone differently because their skin is a different color than ours. Now listen, if this preaching is making you uncomfortable this morning, my intent is not to make you uncomfortable, but it is to get you to look in the mirror of God's word. And just as Paul withstood Peter to the face, sometimes you need to be withstood to the face and say, there's no room for racism in Christianity. We should never, ever, ever look at a boy or girl walking off that bus and think, why do we got to bring that crowd to church? Oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Some divide over skin color, letter B. Some divide over wealth class. Over wealth class. It's been a joy and privilege and honor to pastor White Oak Baptist Church the last three and a half years. And I pray that God gives us decades of of years in pastoring here. And... I have to say that in the three and a half years that I've been here, I have not sensed a struggle with racism at our church. In fact, uh, if you look around the room this morning, what you'll see is quite a bit of diversity compared uh, to most Baptist churches in America or even most Anglo, what would be labeled Anglo-Saxon churches in America. And listen, I'm looking around at, right now at people from all continents, I believe uh, all inhabited continents except for maybe Australia. Anyone from Australia in here this morning? Good day, mate. Anybody? All right. Uh, That's about all I got. Uh, But uh, I believe every other continent is represented that there's a populated continent. I don't believe that White Oak Baptist Church has a struggle corporately with racism. But I'm going to tell you where I believe White Oak Baptist Church has a small struggle. I don't believe it's a great struggle, but I believe it's a small struggle. I don't believe we look down at people based on their skin color, but I do believe that we can, even if it's accidentally, even if it's not knowingly, we look down on people because they come from a different wealth class than us. Boy, they, they just look like they're dirty. They look like they don't have money. They, they don't, their, their, their clothes smell a little bit. They, 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 they look like they're street. Let me read some passages for you here, and I want to share some statistics with you this morning. Proverbs 14.31 says, He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker. Listen to that. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. Listen to Proverbs 17.5. Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker. Um, Oppress the poor. Mock the poor. Both of those actions, you're guilty of reproaching God, your creator, in heaven. The Bible is pretty clear that we are not to love money. But can I just tell you the truth this morning? While I'm being candid and I'm, I'm just getting at it this morning. Many of us do love money. Many of us love money. The Bible tells us not to, but it's a struggle. Can we just all be honest with each other this morning? Loving money, or rather not loving money, is a struggle. Um, many of us, if not most of us, are guilty of it. And it shows up in so many ways. One of the ways that loving money rears its ugly head is in the way we treat people who have more of it or less of it than we do. Let me give you some cold, hard numbers this morning. Um, let me share with you some numbers about average household income for various cities in Connecticut. Let's begin with Bridgeport. 
the average household income uh, in Bridgeport makes $44,841. Now, that's, that's the household. So all people living within one residence combined, they're making $44,841. All right. Stratford, the average household income in Stratford is $72,757. Anybody see a difference between Bridgeport and Stratford? By the way, the average median household income in America is just a hair over 69000 So Stratford is a little better off than most Folks in America. Now, what can happen here? What can happen here is that we we look at people and their housing situation. We look at people and their clothing. We look at people and uh, the the way they go about wearing. By the way, you can also look you can also look at incomes and you can just about guess the type of music people listen to. Now, why does that matter? Because the music people listens to oftentimes dictates. Their styles dictates their jewelry, dictates the way they walk, the way they talk. We look at someone who comes to one of these neighborhoods that maybe acts like the hip-hop crowd, and we think, oh, man, that's scary. Oh, man, I, I, don't, I don't think I can relate with them. Oh, man, I don't think I want to have anything to do with them. You know what? I'm not going to be rude, but I'm not going to go out of my way to care for them either. I've heard all the excuses. Well, I can't go into Bridgeport because Bridgeport is a dangerous city. How many of you here have ever heard somebody say that Bridgeport is dangerous? Would you raise your hand? Have you ever heard anybody say that? I have some statistics for you this morning. All right. 2014, Bridgeport was the 51st most dangerous city in America. 2014. 2015, Bridgeport was the 88th most dangerous city in America. 2016, Bridgeport was the 96th most dangerous cities in America, city in America. Since 2017, Bridgeport doesn't even make any list as far as crime rate. Doesn't even make a list. Bridgeport has continued to get safer and safer and safer since 2014. Now, is it is it more dangerous to walk around Bridgeport than Stratford? Probably. Probably. But are you really at risk walking around Bridgeport in the daytime with a gospel track in your hand? No. Not seriously. So those of you that say, well, I would go in Bridgeport and share Jesus with people, um, but it's dangerous. Well, I kind of took that one off the table, so... What's your excuse? What's your excuse? Would you turn over to James chapter 2 for me? James chapter 2. Bridgeport, $44,841. Stratford, seventy-two seven. Let me give you a couple of more cities here. The average median household income in the city of Greenwich, $94,300. The average household income in Darien, $208,848. Look at James chapter 2. Look at verse number 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Look at the rest of the verse here. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Now, if you look closely at James 2, 5 and 6, what you find are middle class, economically middle class Christians. Look at verse number 6 again. Ye... Again, that James has written to Christians in Jerusalem. Ye have despised the poor. So clearly in this verse, there are people who are poorer than they are. Look at the rest of the verse. Do not rich men oppress you. So they have poor below them. They have rich above them. Um, if James is writing today, he would be writing to people on that list that live in Stratford. Boy, they have the poor, Bridgeport, and they have the rich, Greenwich and Darien. And he says here, he says, 
why are you despising the poor? Don't you know that rich people despise you? Hey, listen, I want any one of you that live in Stratford, Milford, Trumbull, uh, Derby, Ansonia, uh, I live in Beacon Falls, any of you that sort of live in suburbia America that fits in the Stratford uh, range, I want you to just walk onto the property of someone that lives in Darien and knock on their door and see how you get treated. Uninvited. I don't think they're going to be asking you to come in and have a cup of coffee or tea with them. You know what they're going to do? They're going to call the police. You know why? Because they despise you. Now, I'm not talking about every person. I'm talking about the majority of them. Now, why is it that you can be oppressed by a rich person and then you turn around and do the same thing to others who don't have? We look at someone and we size them up financially and we make a decision whether or not we want to invest in them. And if they don't meet our class or go above our class, we will, even if it's inadvertently, push them away. Some divide over skin color. Some divide over wealth class, letter C. Some divide over family construct. Family construct. Now, I want to just say this up front. I hope everyone's listening this morning. God's plan for the family is very, very clear. In fact, it couldn't be any more clear in in Scripture than this. Marriage is to be between a man and a woman. Now, it's sad that has to be a a statement that is, uh, let's see, what's the word? um, An inflammatory statement. But the Bible can't be any more clear. God made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam was a male, Eve was a female. Marriage was not created by some state, by some government. Marriage was created by God. He's the one that created that institution. Now, listen closely. It's supposed to be marriage and then children. We all okay this morning? That's God's plan. Marriage first. The act that brings about children is supposed to come after marriage. Not before marriage. Not outside of marriage Within the bonds of marriage. We all okay this morning? Marriage, then children. And then mom and dad are supposed to stay married as they raise the children and train them up for adulthood. We all understand that that's God's plan for the home. But in 2019, that plan is not followed by most of culture. We live in a day and time where uh, uh, stepmom and stepdad are becoming part of our society and half brothers and half sisters and stepbrothers and stepsisters and children going between mom's house and dad's house and two sets of furniture and two sets of clothes and uh, uh, two different sets of rules and uh, even at times two different schools and, 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 and the different uh, uh, setup there. We live in a day and age where a broken home has become the normal, where instead of having mom and dad raise the children, a single parent oftentimes now raises the child. While this is the reality of the world around us, oftentimes at church, we can treat people far less uh, than, uh, treat people from less than traditional backgrounds as though they don't fit into our circle of friends. The, um, the, the Baptist Christian world in America, at least the Baptist Christian world I've been a part of, most of my life in America, struggles with reaching families that have a single parent. It just does. Now, if you're here today and you are a single mom or dad, we're not here to judge you. We're here to love you. You hear me this morning? We're here to love you. Look, how you got to this point in your life, uh, I just to be flat honest with you, I, I, I care for you, but I don't care enough to judge you about how you got to this point in your life. What I care is that you're here and that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. Now, can I ask a question to each of you here this morning? Especially those of you that followed God's plan and you got married, then you had kids, or you got married around the time that you had kids and you're 10, 15 years into a marriage. When someone walks through the door that isn't from a traditional background, how do you treat them? Do you put your arms out and embrace them? And care for them and accept them and treat them like they belong? 
most of most of the folks that you're going to run to run into in inner city Bridgeport, most of the folks there are either in a relationship that doesn't please the Lord or are from a relationship that doesn't please the Lord. And as those boys and girls and men and women get on our church bus and come here, boy, don't you treat them any different than as if they came from a home that was traditional and biblical. You love them all the same. Yesterday, I had the privilege of going out with Brother Kyle Codnia here. We went out visiting the bus route together. And then we went and followed up on a young man who sat on the front pew here about a month and a half ago named Kevin. And Kevin uh, prayed to receive Christ as a Savior. And we sat in Kevin's home. Let me tell you, Kevin is, uh, is a black man. And Kevin comes from a, a, from a husband or a man and woman uh, who had him out of wedlock. And Kevin, uh, uh, he, he lives in a home, uh, let's just say it, it wasn't the cleanest home as far as the building he lives in. It wasn't the cleanest building I've ever been in. In fact, when Brother Kyle and I walked in the building, we didn't even want to take the elevator up because we weren't sure if it was going to work or break. So we took the stairwell and we got in the stairwell and it smelled like urine in the stairwell. And there were uh, uh, evidence of drugs that had been done as we went up the stairs and we got into Kevin's apartment and it was clean and, 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 and the, the woman of the house is doing the best she can to make of it. But we sat on Kevin's couch and Kevin's mom came out and we had a conversation with Kevin's mom and I looked in her eyes and what I saw is a woman who loves God and is trying to do her best to please the Lord with her life and what she does not need is for some white pastor from suburban America to come sit on her couch and look down his nose at her and treat her like she's subhuman. What she needs is for this pastor to sit in her living room and show her the love of God. And she needs you to do the same if she ever comes. Boy, the folks ought to get on the bus and they ought to roll up onto our property and they ought to walk in this building and they ought to leave going, I have to come back. The people of that church made me feel so loved. Boy, the, the, the disciples rolled into Samaria with Jesus. And they held their nose as they walked through the province. And Jesus didn't do that. Jesus saw them for who they were and he loved them. Number three, and lastly, notice Christ's heart for the Samaritans. Christ's heart for the Samaritans. Letter A, he gave his attention. He gave his attention. Look with me at John chapter 4. And look at verse number 7. Look at John chapter 4, verse number 7. It says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For the disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Look at verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, her jaw hanging open. She's almost speechless. How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Hey, you are a male Jew, and I'm a female Samaritan, and you're paying attention to me? You're actually talking to me? Hey, what's one way to know if you treat someone the right way? When they come up to you, are you comfortable having a conversation with them? Are you willing to look them in the eye and actually care for them? Um, um, I, uh, when I'm out and about in uh, public, I go out of my way to be extra kind to anyone who is not of the same skin color as I am. You know why? Because I want to do everything I can to heal the racial issues in America. If I come to a door and there is someone of Hispanic descent or African descent that's coming through that door, I will hold the door open for them and I will look them in the eye and I will give them a sincere, genuine greeting. I will ask how they're doing and if I can engage in a conversation of five seconds up to 15 minutes, I will take the time to talk to them. Why? Because I can say all day that I'm not a racist. And I can say all day that I don't treat people different based on their money. And I can say all day that I don't care about your family construct. I'm going to be kind to you. But if I'm not actually giving my attention to people, then it's nothing more than empty speech. You hear me this morning? 
you must take the time to show attention. Jesus shows up at this well, and he sits at the well, and he's thirsty. And I believe he knew what was coming. But this woman comes, and she's Samaritan, and he's Jew. And there must have been an awkward moment where she's drawing water out, trying not to pay him any attention. And Jesus looks her in the eye, and he says, can you give me some water to drink? And oh, her heart starts to race. Her blood pressure goes up. She begins, the hair on the back of her neck stands up. She begins to think, is this male Jew talking to me, a Samaritan woman? I can't believe he's actually taking the time. Now, his request was kind of selfish. Give me some water, woman. Give it to me now. But it was an entry point of a conversation so he could care for her. Look down at verse number 39, John chapter 4. Now, Jesus and the woman have been conversing for quite some time, and he's not done. Look at verse 39. Rather, we get to verse 39, he's done conversing with the woman. She's gone back into the city of Samaria, and uh, uh, people are coming out to see Jesus. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Look at verse 40. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy sayings, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus, uh, uh, he, he was just passing through Samaria, on his way to Galilee, back to his hometown of Nazareth, is where he would eventually uh, end up here. He's on his way, and he takes some time to go through Samaria, much to the chagrin of his disciples, and then they come out, and they say, you gave attention to her, can you give us your attention? And Jesus said, you know what? My schedule isn't as important as showing all of you the love of Jesus. He took two extra days out of his schedule, and he gave his attention to these people. He gave his attention to these people. Did it inconvenience him? Probably. Probably. He wasn't concerned about the inconvenience. He was care. He was concerned about showing the love of Jesus to others. Not only did he give his attention, he gave his affection. He gave his affection, let her be. Look with me at John chapter 4 and verse number 10, and I love the way Jesus handles her. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith of thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? And art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and saith unto her, Listen to the affection in his voice. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. Look at the broken family here. And and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. So she's been married five times. She's living with a man in a sixth relationship. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And ye say that uh, in Jerusalem, uh, in, in this place where men ought to worship, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Are you tracking the conversation so far? He's confronted her with her sin in a loving way. She's avoided the topic and brought up worship. Jesus has circled back around to talk about who it is you are to worship. She brings up Messiah and then he lays on her who he is. Look at verse 26. Jesus saith unto her, I 
that speak unto thee am he. Wow. She's amazed that a Jew male is talking to her. And then he tells her, I'm not just any Jew male. I'm the Messiah. And her jaw must have dropped open. And she thought to herself, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who's come to take away the sin of the world, is talking to me. He's loving me. He cares for me. She left her water pot at the well. She ran back in the city and she said, I have found the Messiah and he loves me. Jesus looks at us today and he says, I want you to take the the love that I have and I want you to give it to the world. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. Okay, Lord, no problem there. I want you to go to Judea. Okay, Lord, more Jews. We're good there. Then he points at Samaria. Boy, to us, he'd be pointing at inner city Bridgeport or inner city New Haven or uh, people who are of a different skin color to the races, people who are of a different wealth class, a lower wealth class to those that uh, have a class warfare issue, those who are from a broken home. And he says, I want you to take my love to them. You know, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. And without Jesus Christ, the hopeless will remain hopeless. So the question comes, Christian, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Why do Baptist Church is a bus ministry so that we can go to our Samaria? That we can love those who need God's love the most. So we can make a difference in their lives. In 2020, uh, we are looking at renting a school bus, and uh, we'll talk more about this in the in the business meeting tonight. The financial aspect of it, we've been able to to uh, to negotiate a very 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 good price on renting a school bus each week. We have a bus captain lined up who will ride that route every week. We need those who will give toward the bus. We need those who will go on the bus. We need those who will visit the bus. We'll need those who will help in a class. We need those who will help support uh, uh, those who ride the bus and need the love of Jesus shown to them. You say, Pastor, my schedule and budget don't allow for any of that. Then can I ask one thing of you? When someone gets off that bus and walks in this church, can you show them the love of Jesus with all your heart? Can you give them your attention? Can you give them your affection? Can you have a heart for the hopeless. Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us to show your love to broken people. Show your love to people who have less. Show your love to people who look different. Show your love to people who come from a different background. May we show your love to people who need that love. May we care for others the way that you care for others. And may we be reminded on a regular basis... You're not a respecter of persons, and we're to walk in that same light. 